Hello and welcome to Hightailing Through History, High Tales of History's Tall Tales. Each week, two sisters get together, get high, and like to surprise each other with stories from history. It's a casual hangout. Welcome to our smoke circle. I'm glad you're here. Hello, and welcome to Hightailing Through History. I'm Laurel. Joined by Katie. Welcome. Welcome to our smoke circle. We saved you a spot. It's right here. It's right here next to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. I have a joint all rolled up here for you. COVID doesn't exist in our smoke circle. And if you want, everyone has their own. I, I'm like the Oprah of Jays. I'm like, here, you have a joint, and you have a joint, and you have a joint. And then everyone can have one and not have to share it. Or we just puff, puff, pass. That was a lot of uh, explanation for our, for our smoke circle. But hey, we're really happy that you're here. And we're really happy to have you join us for another week of fun. This is episode six. Wow. I know. Look at us go. Six weeks into this now. Katie, hi. Hi. We missed you last week. I hope you missed me because I missed you and listening to you. And not that I don't love hearing Christian. It's nice <laughs> to hear an English voice on here. So I was like, wow, he sounds like way more attractive than I do. <laughs> <laughs> He's so sexy. Uh, we were smashed last week. Were you? Oh, I could kind of tell with Christian. Yeah, was Christian like, was hammered. And <laughs> I had a couple of edibles. And they were hitting me especially hard. I was like, I'm not sitting in my room right now. I go, Christian, do you feel like we're somewhere else? And he goes, no, I feel like we're in our room. And I was like, okay. All right, the then. part when you were like, and Christian goes, she's gone. And I was like, oh, I she's was literally part way through a sentence and then I just stopped. Yeah. And then I was like, I, I literally I have no tell, idea what's I going on right now. I could see the expression on your face. And I was in, I think it was the Starbucks drive through. I was dying. I was like, ooh, she's gone. Right now. He goes, oh, she's gone. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea. And we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Yeah. No clue. Just went off on a but little honestly, galaxy loon. Despite the like obvious, like, I enjoyed it greatly. It's nice to hear Christian. I think he was excited about it because he, as soon as he saw me at the distillery, mm-hmm. he was like, did you listen to the episode yet? I was like, not yet. I got as far as the first sentence. And then I was at where I had to do something. I don't remember what it was, but um, yeah, I greatly enjoyed it. Uh, I really liked the story. It was so fun. It was I mean, it's a, it's bonkers. A, it, yeah, it is absolutely bonkers, that story. It was one of those things where... It's one of those moments where you hope we learn from history. Yeah. You're like, and the fact let's that they never didn't. do this again. Yeah. And well, did you hear that? I the... heard you mention that the 1908 Olympics were not much better. Mm-mm. But where were they? They still, uh, London. Okay. Yeah. They were I in, will tell you though. They were in London. I was ticked at St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. That was our only moment. I say our because like no, apparently. No, we had another one in 2000. Um, 12, wasn't it? Yes. London got those. So I'm ticked at London, not St. Louis. <laughs> London. Yeah, you hear me. I was thinking after putting the episode up and like listening back to it, there were some things where I was like, oh, well, yeah, no wonder there were. There was a lot of issues because most of the athletes were all Americans. I later, yeah. after I put the, the episode up, I happened to see something when I was getting like pictures together for social media. I was happening, I happened to see um, that Germany was the second place in medal holdings, but 
for example, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but just to give an idea. Yeah. U.S. got like 200 and something whatever medals. And then like Germany had 60 or something like that. Yeah. And they were the second place. Or, you know, I mean, I think they, they were even like 40 or 50. You know, something along those lines. Yeah. There was such a vast difference between the two countries. And that was even the second place holder, quote unquote. So there are a lot of just things that weren't amazing. And uh, yeah, and then they have to throw in the whole anthropology days what the thing. fuck was that, that was so weird I, okay the honestly like what the fuck was with giving people brandy instead of water i was like yeah yeah i mean when i saw the story when i read the story the first time through it said you know that the trainer had given thomas hicks because i messed up his name in the in the thing thomas hicks um they gave him strychnine and egg whites and i was like strychnine that's a poison like i've read true crime stories where the victim has been poisoned with strychnine you know mm. and but apparently in, in small doses it was used as a stimulant for the nervous system in very small doses it's rat poison so anyway we missed you katie and hope you had a good trip was it fun overall <laughs> it was a cluster okay <laughs> not was exactly it as bad as the 1904 olympics i mean it was far more uh, in good spirits than that, probably. Lots of camaraderie. It, there were a lot of unplanned side quests. Okay. So, first being we, so we were on an island next to Mackinac called Bois Blanc. Mm-hmm. While the ferry leaving from Bois Blanc is from Cheboygan. Not not Sheboygan. There's a Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and there's a Cheboygan, Michigan. Do not screw them up. Oh, shit. It'll lead to navigational errors. <laughs> So it leaves from Chubboygan. Last one leaves at six. Well, we didn't get there till nine. Oh, no. So we ended up having to grab a hotel in Mackinac City and then driving down the next morning. So we missed the first night of our Airbnb. So that that was a thing. And like the second day, we went to drive. So Bois Blanc is like, it's dirt roads. It's, it's like a big campground, kind of. Like the houses are nice. You have flushing toilets. You have laundry. You have all that. But you're on an island in the middle of Lake Huron. Yeah. Which, by the way, is like one of the most beautiful bodies of water I've ever put my body into. Oh, wow. Slash my eyes on. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I never wanted to leave it. If I could retire on Lake Huron, I'd be happy. What was particularly nice about it? Uh, well, it's bright, beautiful turquoise. You can see what? like 50 feet down until it gets really, really deep when you hit the drop-offs, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was neck deep, and I know I'm not that tall, but like I was neck deep in the water. Like Clam and Emily, like we were all like in the water and you could see all the way down every detail of your toes and of the rocks underneath and all that wow i didn't know that about it is amazing fort mackinac was pretty cool old british fort Mm -hmm. back from like ye olden days uh pre-revolutionary war i think um obviously (laughs) obviously since we have a history podcast but the historic parts were actually the most interesting to me rather Mm -hmm. than like just the rest of it you know uh we got to see the blacksmith it's the original blacksmiths that used to be there and service all the horses on the islands cool but like it's all his old tools that blacksmith there uses and stuff yeah wow i mean that stuff will last a long time especially if it was done well but that was really cool and the the guy that's doing the blacksmithing there is so nice so welcoming so friendly so what are you drinking give me yep I'm not going to make that same folly that I did mm-hmm. all those other episodes. Yeah, I'm just that... setting you up for, for it. 
I just set the volleyball. I went bah, like that. I just set it with my fingertips. Is it my I, turn to spike it? Yeah, it's your turn to spike it and not say cab salve. So what is it? A cab. Yeah. What uh, What kind is it? Or like what's the... Oh, juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's the one with the lion on it again. Oh, my beautiful, it? majestic lion. Yeah. It looks almost like the cover of an IPA. So I was literally like strolling through the wine aisle as I do. And I was like, what is that? I have to have it. Very juicy. We're not sponsored, but we're trying to be. <laughs> no, oh, my God. Juggernaut. If I ever like... got. And it's a great name. Like, I saw the name and I was like, what? Not yeah. only does it have the best cover art I've ever seen on a wine, but it's called Juggernaut. I was like, that is mine. But I also see you two are joining my train. Yeah. What have you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm actually taking a <laughs> taking a tolerance break <laughs> for a little <laughs> bit with the uh, with the weed. So I'm joining Katie with a cocktail tonight. I'm just having a good old gin and tonic with um, Hendrix Lunar Gin. We got mm. the full moon coming up on Saturday. I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't oh. have the moon gin because there's a full moon coming. But I just. Uh, it was just within reach, and I grabbed that one. But um, now I'm feeling kind of into it <laughs> with that. Let's get into our stories. What let's do you do say? Let's, let's talk about some history. Talk about some fun things that we've learned this More past history, week. history, not just Mackinac history. Right. Older history. Let's settle this with a with good a old game of... Good old-fashioned game of rock, paper, rock, scissors. Scissor. So I told Katie that I'm going to just have like a rhythm established, and then we'll count it out so then that way it's just a little bit easier and less stressful for her so hopefully this works nicely let's see I'm how this goes i'm a needy learner here we go so that's our that's our rhythm okay rock paper scissors shoot oh you win i decided not to do scissors oh good you learned <laughs> That was one of the funniest revelations to me when I listen when when that happened when you're like oh you're like you you stone nutcase <laughs> the fact that I did scissors every single time and I actually probably would have gone for scissors again I had to consciously tell myself don't do scissors <laughs> Katie we are gonna go. Sorry, I didn't answer. Yes. I was just kind of staring at you. I was like, yes. It was it was like a rhetorical like use of your name. You didn't have to answer me. But uh, we are going to go visit some of your favorite people on the planet. Would you like to take a guess on who they might be? I mean, am I allowed to guess? You could try guessing, yeah. Well, it's one of two. It's either, oh, well, it's either the vikings or the mongolians oh, yeah, shoot i forgot about the vikings how did i forget about the vikings you oh. are a, a little viking <laughs> tiny viking that's what i've viking. told but the, the mongolians yeah yes okay we are visiting the mongolians back in 1200s sort of mm. time here okay. like we're talking just after genghis khan i thought it was genghis yeah weird right there's a pronunciation thing that I've, I've looked up for the story because I want to try and say – You know he's my dude. I know. I know everyone like, oh, the crazy mar- – listen. A Mongolian speaker on, on the interwebs. Indeed. Who, who helps with like name pronunciation and different look, cons. Any of the stuff I researched never told me that, so I'm hearing this from you now. Yeah. He says technically Genghis or Chengis are both correct, mm. but in terms of what it would sound like from – a Mongolian at that time mm. would be probably more correct to say Chengis. Chengis. Yeah. Chengis or Cheng? I, in my head, I had the pronunciation of the game Jenga, 
Yes, that's exactly Genghis what I was Khan. thinking. It was like Jenga. Okay, yeah, Genghis Khan. So I, w- I kept thinking like Jenga in my head. It's it's it when you see I didn't it know like he came... spelled out, it almost looks a little more like Chingus, like Chingus. I've seen, but it um, yeah. when I heard it in my ears, I heard more J, Genghis. Okay, so I could be way off base, but that's what he said. He's like a. I'm glad I mean, you looked it up. Mongolian, I appreciate that. So I that. was like, I'm going to look this up and figure out how I it is. Because I heard that. it. I heard somebody say Genghis, and I was like, that doesn't sound who right at like, all. Who do you think you are? And then I was like, well, I want to look this up and see if I'm Good totally move. Good move. off base here. I really want to make the effort to put forth the effort to do my best with yeah. it. Well, we put, for, we put forth the effort, like do your due diligence. And then when you get corrected and you say, oh, hey, I've, I messed that person's name up like last week. I fully committed to the name of William Hicks, even though that wasn't the guy's name. It's not. But I had written down. Um, What's his name? Thomas Hicks. Laurel. Well, no, I know. You weren't they, even close. <laughs> right. Well, it's another English, uh, you know, common English name. But I had to. That's extremely hilarious. I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh at you. Yeah. I mean, oh my hey, gosh. shit happens. <laughs> well, it was weird because. I thought maybe my – I'm like, well, maybe my sources said William, and I, that's so weird. I'm like, why would I have William written down everywhere, like all through my notes? Always William, 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 William. Were you doing edibles and doing your notes? Well, sometimes I'm a little bit stoned when I do the <laughs> writing part of it because, so, like, I can just kind of get more of a, in a flow, but I don't yeah. get, like, wasted. I just, like, have, like, a little token, and then I'm like, I can kind of get in the flow state better. Um, But, no, like, all my sources said Thomas, and I was like, how did I write down William everywhere? But anyway, so I did do a little um, correction at the very beginning of the story, and I slipped it into the episode. All right, so we're going to go to Mongolia. Yes, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. We're going to go into the mid to late 1200s, and we are going to meet Princess Kudiyun, the warrior wrestler with 10,000 horses. That was my shoulder that made that noise. That was really weird. Did you hear that? Did you hear that click? I heard you click, but Sorry, you said warrior princess with 10,000 horses and nothing else existed in my life. Yeah, this is this is everything you would want from a story. It's got Mongolians, it's got horses, it's got super badass women. So we're going to set the scene for tonight's story by opening the maps of East Asia. <laughs> north of China, Mongolia is located. Present day, it's still located north of China. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to have this up on... On social media so you can see the full scale of what's happening here but at the beginning of this 13th century specifically year 1206 the mongols were unified from different nomadic tribes under mongolia's most famous ruler Genghis khan my dude Mm -hmm. so the mongol empire in 1206 started with a picture i will i will show you know it's kind of located in general present-day Mongolia. And then over the course of the next several years, we see the expansion of Genghis Khan. Now, just it's like the very last picture I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on there is going to show the different factions of Khans and their territories after Genghis Khan's death. But just so you can see like that progression. The Mongol Empire at its height was the largest contiguous land empire in history which means that it was connected together without a break, just as 48 of the United States connect together, the continental Mm -hmm. United States. It was the second largest empire based on landmass, second only to the British Empire. Oh, really? I would have expected Alexander the Great. No. Damn. Yeah. I mean. So with the British Empire at its height, they had territories and land 
everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. They were in Mackinac Island for crying out loud. I was like, <laughs> how the frick did the British get out here? You're in the middle of a lake in the middle of the country. Well, they were there. Well, yeah. I mean, everything is... They found their way there. Yeah. <laughs> not like we hate the British. You're married to one, so... <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm just saying, like, oh, yeah, no, everyone gets everywhere, I guess. In regards to the remainder of our story, which is centered on Kudiyum, history does get, like, a little bit fuzzy. Mm-hmm. There's, um, well... They didn't do written history, did right. they? Right. I was going to say, being a nomadic people, the Mongols didn't have the ability to, like, create and carry around scrolls and books nope. and like tomes of their their history mm-hmm. so they instead relied on oral tradition like many nomadic or indigenous tribes and peoples mm-hmm. and their recorded history was actually done often i should say as often written by people outside of their culture mm-hmm. so in this case for kudiyum our primary sources are from marco polo and a persian historian named rashad al-din hamadani so even then, these sources differ in some of their writings. So Marco Polo will say one thing, and Rashad al-Din Hamadani will say something a little bit different. And that makes things fun when you're trying to f- sort out what really happened and try and give the best, right. most accurate what primary source account. Because <laughs> I think it's important to try and tell the best story we can. But, you know, I will tell both sides of the story when it diverges a little bit, and so that way you can hear both sides, and then I'll just let you the listener and Katie see what you think. Let's get to the fun stuff. Okay. Around the year 1260, the subject of our story, Kudiyun, was born. 1260 or 1206? 1260. Okay. She was born into nobility as a daughter of a very important Khan named Kaidu Khan. And she was also the great-great-granddaughter of Genghis Khan himself. She was the youngest of 15 children who were all boys. Except for her, mm-hmm. all her older brothers, she was the youngest, the girl. She was a tough chick. Yeah. Kudiyun and her 14 brothers were taught how to ride a horse the moment they were physically able, which is common in Mongolian culture. Extremely common. You know, as toddlers basically are like trying to, you know, be taught how to horseback mm-hmm. or ride on horseback. Well, especially then because they were nomadic. You mm-hmm. moved you had to move by yeah. horseback. They also learned archery, hunting, and fighting skills at a very young age. Now, this wasn't just because they were royalty and having the skill set made them better marriage material, like how we would see in the West, like the more skills and knowledge of mm-hmm. shit you'd have, they makes you better marriage material in, in a noble family. You have a lot of knowledge of shit. Let's marry. <laughs> this is literally for survival and part of the Mongol yeah. culture, right? You know, so it's not like, Absolutely. oh, hey, I can do all these things. Oh, cool. Like, you're going to make great babies. Like, no, I literally have to know these things for my survival and the survival of my family, mm-hmm. right? Due to the nomadic lifestyle, both men and women were expected to ride a horse from location to location, use the horse for herding livestock and hunting, and also be able to protect themselves and their herds from threat, hence learning archery. Being proficient in archery also meant that the Mongols would occasionally allow women into battle. Being proficient in archery also meant that the Mongols would occasionally allow women into battle. Fighting hand-to-hand or with a sword would generally put women at a disadvantage against a man. But if you give her a horse and a bow and arrow, look out. I mean, she's just as equal on the battlefield. You may also see then why the horse is so important Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the Mongolians because it was a cornerstone of the Mongol culture. And I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm I'm looking at you. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just got tall. All the rest for our friends here. Hallelujah, choir, right now. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it, which is why I'm like, 
two centimeters from the microphone because I'm like staring at you. Oh, avidly. I see your eyes very wide. So, so Kuti Yoon, she gets older and she's physically very strong and excelled at horseback riding, archery, warfare tactics. She's amazing. She's amazing, and it quickly becomes clear to her father that she would be a perfect battlefield companion because she's super smart. She's great at all the things that you would need on the battlefield, and he's like, right. You mean she needs a companion on the battlefield because she's the star here. She's the real she's, star. She's the Valkyrie. Um, right, exactly. She is, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Sorry. It's so all these wars it. and battles that her father is fighting. You know, he's like, uh, yeah, come on, daughter of mine. But that battlefield really was never very far away because, as I said, he's always mm-hmm. in battle because Kudayun was born during a time where all the grandsons of Genghis Khan mm-hmm. were fighting for the title of the Great Khan. Yeah. Um, the one to rule the entire empire. The one Khan to rule them all. The one Khan to rule them all. Exactly. But seriously, no one united Mongolia like he did. It never happened again. No, you're right. Yeah, exactly. And and so they were all in their different factions and different parts of the empire, all fighting each other to try and be the great Khan. So eight years after Kudayun was born, her father entered into what became known as the Kaidu Kublai War, which is a civil war that lasted just over 30 years. Like fucking hell. Kublai Khan, which is the name a lot of, like you look very excited so about excited. this. Kublai Khan like, is, a, yeah. a, is, a, is a name that's a, you know, it's probably not often more recognizable. I know what you're talking about because this is usually we're bringing each other such new information. And when you're talking about what I know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> So Kublai Khan was uh, Genghis Khan's grandson and Kaidu's cousin, okay? So Kudayun's uncle, basically. He ruled over the easternmost part of the empire, which included China. During his time there in China, he really got into the lifestyle of the Chinese court, and he enjoyed the lounging and the relaxing, the wearing of ceremony. luxurious I silks call it and ceremony. ceremony. Yeah. yeah, the fabrics, the, the, just the scene. He really loved that lifestyle of the Chinese court. He liked being catered to with the food and the entertainment. And... Well, who wouldn't, honestly? Right. Kaidu, Kudayun's father, was not about that life. And he felt like his cousin was getting too soft, both as a Khan and as a Mongol. He felt the Mongolian way of life was fierce, hard, and had to be nomadic. And that there was no place for the indulgence that Kublai was, in <laughs> was getting into. Because he felt Kublai Khan was no longer a great leader, Kaidu spent the rest of his days at war with him in order to win control over the empire. So now that Kudayun was old enough to join the fight, Kaidu and Kudayun rode side by side into many battles during the war. He even turned to his daughter, not his sons, for military advice and tactics. Kudayun, she was fearless. She's so cool. She would ride alongside her father as the battle began and then would just sprint headlong into the enemy lines. She would like just ride like tick, 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 alongside him and then she'd just pell-mell, go for it, right into the front lines of the enemy. She would randomly target a rider. She would pluck him off his horse and bring him back to her father. So she was like a human hawk. <laughs> she would like go in there, grab a guy, drag him off his horse, super strong. And then she'd like drag him back to her dad. She has to be incredibly strong. Incredibly strong, right? I know. I thought about the physics of that and I'm like, I don't understand how that could happen. You have a horse momentum lends Mm -hmm. you a lot. Yeah. This was um, (laughs) this sort of sniping like a hawk was written about by Marco Polo. Mm -hmm. So again, we have to just take his word for it that he's not just trying to like 
what would he gain from that? Poem? I don't know exactly. I, so so I there's there's some that people that some people that say that uh, some historians will say that Marco Polo had a bit of a crush on on uh, Yoon. So do I. I mean, right? Don't blame him, but you know, who knows? But either way, that was like her signature move, and it would terrify her adversaries because they were like, "Oh shit, here she comes!" She just full blown charge into the line, grab him, boom, drag her back to. Drag, drag them back to her father. Uh. Cool. But even though she was a fierce warrior, Kudiyun was still a woman born into a noble family in ancient times, and marriage was still a way to make political alliances. Kudiyun, however, had no desire to settle down and be a wife to someone, and so she made a deal with her father that she would only marry the man who could defeat her in a wrestling match. Good for you, girl. Kaido agreed and thought that it was such a good idea that he announced the contest in which the challenger had to wager horses in order to enter. If the challenger won, he got to marry Kudiyun. If he lost, she got to keep the horses. It's said that the wager first started out as 10 horses, but then That's a lot over of horses. time, which is a lot of horses, but then it soon rose to 100. Now, although the horse is integral to the Mongol society, most families still only had one or two horses. It's not like people had just like horses in abundance. They're hard to feed. Right. You yeah. know, it's not like something that like a lot of people could keep a lot of. Yeah. So to be able to enter this contest with 10 or more horses. I was going to say, that right there is insane. Meant that you had to have been of some high nobility. Wow. Now, the next thing Kudiyun could do even better than warfare was wrestling. So she was, like, really playing to her strengths. Yeah. (laughs) Mongolian wrestling is the country's most popular sport, even today, with evidence of it going back to cave paintings from 7,000 BC. I'm going to go watch. It's amazing. Have you ever seen Mongolian wrestling? No. What? I know. I'm ashamed. As a lover of the Mongol country, culture and country, and I... possibly liver of a past life there. Yeah. You should look at the, the wrestling. It's really cool. Oh, I, I watched to. a few videos just so I could understand what was happening in... This story. The story. Because um, wrestling... The Mongolian wrestling is not like it's not Greco-Roman Greek, sort Greco-Roman, of stuff. Okay. Yeah. That's going to call It's a little Greco. bit different. It reminds, me, <laughs> it's, it reminds me a little bit of like sumo wrestling in terms of yeah. some parts of it. It's not exactly, of course, but... No, but they have a very certain way that they spar. Mm-hmm. Right. In Mongolian wrestling, there are some different variations of it, depending on the, the region of Mongolia. But, but generally speaking, there are no time or spatial limitations, and there's also no weight class. Mm. So it doesn't matter the size or gender of your opponent. It doesn't matter. All ass can be kicked. Yeah. Or thrown. So you start in a standing position with hands on each other's forearms. Kind of similar to like, kind of reminds me of sumo wrestling. Where there's that standing position there. Your goal is to get your opponent on the ground. There's no grappling on the ground, nor is there any striking. Oh. Variations classify a defeat differently depending on how much of your opponent's body hits the ground. So like I feel like your knees go down like your shin goes down that's usually an out or like if your whole obviously if your whole body goes down that's an out yeah, or defeat i should say so the news we'll of her spend the rest of her night watching this on youtube <laughs> <laughs> and the, the news of the wrestling contest spread far and wide and many many men came to challenge kudiyun was she pretty it said that she was pretty She's i mean pretty. there's a She's few mighty. pictures of her but you don't know if kind of like um 
Ching Shi. Like yeah. there's some pictures of her, but you're like, I don't think that's actually her. Like people just kind of made pictures of what they thought she might have looked like kind of thing. Or it could have been her, but we're not sure. This would have been the same person around the same time and the yeah. same location. It said that she her. was beautiful, but yeah. you know. Okay, she's the whole package. She is the whole package. Can you see me staring at you with hearts right now? Yeah, you've got the little heart eyes. I do. But she sends all of them packing without their wagered horses. She's like, thank you, and also thank you. Oh, I'll take and that. also thank you, I'll take that. She defeated so many potential suitors that people were beginning to get frustrated at her not having chosen a husband already, like all the Mongolian people in their kind hey, of She doesn't need a man. <laughs> They're She's like, this very, very strong, independent woman. <laughs> yeah. One day, a very handsome, very rich prince came to challenge Kudiyun, and he wagered 1,000. Oh, yes, 1,000 horses. He comes with this like caravan i was gonna say where did he find all, all these animals how did he carry all of them well walk all of them they there. walked all of them there now there's some sources that say that her parents wanted her to throw the match and marry this prince because they did he was quite a match Wouldn't i you? guess i mean especially if he's handsome you have nice looking grandchildren i mean yeah i'm sure there's probably some pluses to it but she's like mm. now he was very apparently very powerful rich very handsome he would be a good match for her mm. surely they thought their daughter would agree when he saw how when she saw how handsome he was. Never. Yeah. Whether she agreed to throw the match or not, the match was said to take a little longer than her previous matches. The crowd was cheering, thinking that they might see the end of Kudiyun's winning streak and that their princess was going to get married. I can't believe and they're, they're all cheering like, for yes, her to lose. yeah, I know, yes, assholes. Right. But in one rush of strength, Kudiyun slams the prince down, adds another. W and her tally, and she gets a thousand more horses in her herd. It said that her final number of horses was 10,000. About, now, yeah. Which may or may not be actually true, but you know. I'm fine with that number. It would have rivaled the amount that the emperor had, though. I mean, yeah. You know, it's so, it's, um, it's quite a lot of horses, but 10,000, we'll take it. She now, can't after. put them anywhere, but she's yeah, got them. Yeah, exactly. Now, after humiliating this handsome prince, some historic accounts say that rumors began to circulate, that he was, like, really upset and he left. I don't know if this prince started this, the rumors or if other people who were mm. against Kaidu Khan were, you know, starting them. But people began to speculate that perhaps the reason the princess hadn't married yet was because her and her father had an incestuous relationship. Oh, gross. Which was why Kaidu entertained the wrestling contest in the first place, because he knew Kudiyun would always win. Hmm. That's what people were saying. They're like, oh, well, he wouldn't, he knows that she's always going to win. Why so, of course, he's... anytime a woman gets any sort of like mm -hmm. W's under her belt, there has to be something wrong. Oh, yeah. I know. There wasn't an incestuous relationship, was there? No. No. But this is the rumor that was going around because people. Now, whether it was the alleged rumors or not, Kudiyun did go on to marry someone on her own terms without a wrestling match, which means that Kudiyun technically. Never, Never lost, lost a wrestling match. Exactly. Historians differ on who it was that she actually married. The historian uh, Rashad al-Din Hamadani said it was another Mongol ruler in Persia named uh, Ghazan. Others say it was an enemy assassin sent to kill her father, but instead ended up in his favor. Because that's kind of a cute story, a little, little meat cute there. Oh, I was going to go with the Persian guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that one with, with everybody because this is where the things... Oh, diverge. Differ, diverge, okay. uh huh? 
Also, Rashad Aldean's version version doesn't have a story behind it. He just says that she married a, a, a Mongol Khan located in Persia, and that's who she married. It's said that Kaidu's enemies sent an assassin named Abdakul to kill him, but the plot was foiled. Somehow, in this story, Abdakul's mother was with him. I don't know. Maybe she was like the navigator or something. But Abdakul's mother was with him. Abdakul is the assassin sent to kill Kaidu. Wait, his mother was with him? I know, it's weird. When he and his mother were caught, she begged Kaidu to take her life instead of her son's. Abdakul then put himself in front of his mother and insisted that Kaidu give him a death worthy of a Mongolian warrior and to spare his mother. Is the assassin Mongolian? Yes. Okay. Kaidu was so impressed by this and thought it was so incredibly honorable that he offered him a place in his army. Wow. The story goes that the former assassin, now army officer, was later wounded in battle and sent back to the royal tent for treatment, and that's where he met Kudiyun. And their eyes locked for the first yeah. time. And she was like, you know, maybe this marriage stuff isn't so bad after all. Right. She found love in her own time. In her, her own, own time. Terms. So it may or may not be true, but it's a cute story. And I thought I would share that because, you know, let everybody decide whether she marries one guy or the other. After all of their years of battle and warring against Kublai Khan, the Mongolian Empire became so fractured with these civil wars that in 1293, the empire breaks into more specific parts. So this is that very last picture on on the social media if you want to follow Mm -hmm. along with pictures. Kublai Khan died in 1294, but his successor took up the fight against Kaidu. In 1301... However, Kaidu fell ill with symptoms of indigestion and just general stomach troubles, which then turned to dysentery. And if we know from plain Oregon Trail, dysentery can be fatal. So while ill, he stated that he wanted Kudayun to be the next Khan, which may be a bit awkward with 14 brothers. In Mongolian culture, the title of Khan wasn't automatically reserved for the eldest son, but instead went to the best warrior son. Well, it's obviously her. (laughs) Yeah, Kudiyun was technically the best warrior son, you know, in quotations there. In fact, through the years, she actually wore a silver medal called a Gurgi, which was given by the great Khan to another Khan or a man of power and authority. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Some women of high nobility had similar medals, but this particular silver one that Kudiyun wore was strictly reserved for men. In history, she's the only woman to have received such a a silver medal to wear which is really cool so i think she's kind of worthy to be con but it seems that despite her wrestling and military prowess though kudiyun didn't want to be con um her brothers maybe she wasn't interested yeah her brothers also could have been putting pressure on kaidu to name one of the sons too ultimately kaidu named his son oris to be the next con and passed away shortly thereafter mm. Kudiyun agreed to put her support behind her brother in exchange for a military position, and she became the commander of his army. The two maintained an alliance until her death only five years later in 1306. What'd she die of? Mm -hmm. Just as accounts differ on her marriage, they also differ on her death. Some say she fell to an assassination plot. Some say that she was killed in battle. Others say she just died young, and that was just what it was. Her legacy is cemented into Mongolian history, though, and she is still seen today as a symbol of strength and stubbornness, a fierce warrior and a great athlete. So we're going to end on a little fun fact here. Even today, winners of wrestling matches will spread his arms out and slowly like do little waves in the air 
kind of imitates a, a falcon or a bird, a phoenix or something. And he turns in a circle for all of them, for all the people to see. And it's a victory dance, but it's done in honor of Kudiyum, their ancient princess who was never defeated in a wrestling match. You're putting a tear in my eye. Isn't that beautiful? So, I love her. dear listeners, I hope her story inspires you to just stick to your values in the face of societal or familial pressures, and nothing keeps you from living a life that makes you happy and proud to live. So, cheers. Cheers to you. Ding. There we go. Because I'm already drinking over here. Like, yeah, <laughs> cheers, slosh. So, that is our story of Kudiyun of Mongolia. I love her. Isn't she amazing? Isn't that yeah. a fun story? I definitely think she didn't want to be con because I'm sorry, nothing stopped her before. Yeah, I think so. She definitely didn't want it. Right. I think I think it was one of those things where she was like, "I've got 14 brothers. I don't want to make this a mess. Plus, I don't really care that much. You know what I mean? I think she was just kind of like, I don't really care that much to to do that. She really just wanted to continue being a warrior and rule the armies and rule the armies and command the armies. That's what she was good at, though. That's what Mm -hmm. the military stuff. There you go. Could you? What if she was? What if I was her in a past life? How amazing would that be? Well, That'd we gotta check so your wrestling wicked. skills. I mean, probably not great. I'm only four eleven. <laughs> thank Katie. you. No, like, let allow me to stop and thank you. That was amazing. Well, I'm you remember glad you how you were riveted it. to my story, like what two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. I loved every second of that. I was like, literally, like living in my mind, like Ooh. I was like staring at you like a crazy person. I know because I was like, I'm so. Whenever I would like second. look up at your face, I could just see your eyes and your eyebrows, and you look so excited. I'm like, oh, good. That She's enjoying amazing. herself. Amazing. I loved that. Okay. So what have you? What have you got for us, Katie? What's, I have what's a your story? Scooby Doo. Okay. Uh, we are going to talk about, I love Scooby-Doo too, the lost colony of Roanoke. I was going to say, is she going to say Roanoke right now? You oh, know this one? good. I'm excited. This was almost on my list of Damn it. Things. You know it then. Well, I, I know it a little bit. Yeah, no, please, please tell me. I don't. Okay. I mean, please tell all of us. This is, this Indeed. is great. This is what we're here for. All right. In the August of 1587... There was a group of 115 English settlers that arrived on an island, Roanoke, mm-hmm. just off the coast of North Carolina. Okay? Well, what is now North Carolina. Uh, just for some perspective, the Mayflower landed in 1620. Okay. Yeah. Give you some... Because I was sitting there and I'm like, cool, that's a year. That doesn't mean anything to me. So, there you go. So, what is that? Like... 40-ish years between them. Yeah. So Roanoke Island is about eight miles long and about two miles wide. And it's between the mainland of North Carolina and a few barrier islands. So it's not right on the brink of, like, incoming hurricanes. It's a little bit further in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, do-do-do-do. They land there. 115 English settlers. It was determined that later in the year that they had landed there, the governor, John White... Uh, would leave to go sail back to England to replenish supplies. Because they ran out, and they are unfamiliar with this land. Upon his arrival, he's on the boat, going across the Atlantic to come back. Uh, there is a major, uh, uh, excuse me, a major naval war had broken out between England and Spain. Problem. I called her Queen E, but Queen Elizabeth I... <laughs> 
ordered every available ship to confront the mighty Spanish Armada. Uh-huh, yeah. Now, is this around the same time as Madame Chang? No. No, she was at the late 1800s. That's right. Or, yeah, 1700s. 1700s. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so okay. not the same time, basically. Cool, cool. So, the mighty Spanish Armada, Spain's, like, throwing hands. England's mm-hmm. like, you want to catch these hands? Let's go. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that maybe not was the best idea, but who knows? Um, it doesn't I mean, matter Spanish... to our story. I don't know how it ended. <laughs> yeah, as I say, the Spanish Armada had its reputation for a reason. Oh, God, you know? yeah. So, um, yeah, throwing hands, catching hands. Mm-hmm. And so... cannonballs. What? And cannonballs. And cannonballs. Oh, God, yeah. You hope you don't catch those. Mm. Uh, so it was not until August of 1590 that White finally returned to Roanoke. Mm. So that's like three years later. Mm-hmm. He had left his wife, his daughter, and his infant granddaughter on the island. To give you an idea of, like, he left family behind. Mm-hmm. So he's probably extremely anxious to get back. But when Queenie, number uno, numero uno, uh, gives the uh, the word, gotta get back there. Fun fact, the granddaughter's name was Virginia Dare, like I dare you, um, was the first English child born in the Americas ever, at least first documented. That's cool. Yep. Dare was the last name? Yep. Okay. Virginia Dare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so White returned. I don't know why I thought that was like a badass middle name or something. <laughs> I mean, it is kind <laughs> of fun. I had to ask. Like, Ooh, fancy, but... Virginia Dare, you know, Johnson? What? To dream? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, that's bad. Um, Okay. Uh, Upon his return, he found not a trace of the colony or of its inhabitants. Uh, There were very few clues as to what happened to them. A single word, Croatone? Croatoa. Well, it's an N at the end. Okay. Croatone, I assume, was carved into a wooden post, and that was it. That's all he ever found. Mm -hmm. So here ends our story with him. We stayed with him so short. Um, but sweet, nothing. So I honestly don't know if he left and went back to England or drowned himself in sorrow. I don't know. Um, investigations into the fate of this lost colony on Roanoke have been revisited over the centuries with no answers. I have some. We think we know what happened, but let's dig into the meat of it. Croatone. I assume that's what it is. It's C-R-O-A-T-O-A-N. Mm-hmm. Croatone uh, was the name of the island south of Roanoke and with uh, the tribe of the same name living on there. So, is that where they went? Who knows? Uh, some of the hypotheses are one, they were abducted or killed by the tribe to the south. I don't know if they were warlike or not because there's some tribes who are and there's some who are more peacemaking it. It's hard to tell. Uh, two, they tried to sail back to England and were lost at sea. Three, uh, they met a violent and bloody end from the Spanish who would have marched up from Florida. So these are possibilities that they're throwing out. Or they may have moved further inland and were absorbed by a friendly tribe. So in 2007, there were efforts to collect and analyze data from local families and local First Nation tribes in the area. Nothing was ever found or finished. I It didn't say why. Uh, mm. This is all from History.com, by the way, who are extremely accurate. So, obviously, with a name like History.com. However, 
uh, do, 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 do. give you a quick silver lining from this, and then we'll get into something that I figured out later. Uh, silver lining from the lesson learned at Roanoke. English settler, settlers who would come over 17 years later would then settle just a short distance north at Jamestown. Some of what they found uh, was, and this is all from history.com, so I only have one source, um, they uh, found like pottery and these artifacts that they could specifically date back obviously to an English settler, not, you know, of another um, people. It looks like what's most likely happened is they actually moved inland and absorbed into the people there, mm-hmm. most likely. Um, I would have loved to have seen what happened with the DNA analysis. That would have been really cool because that probably would tell you there because that's recent enough. What is this? 1500s? Yeah, that's recent enough. Well, because we can go back. I guess you and I, obviously, share on our mother's side an ancestor who came over on the third voyage of the Mayflower. Don't ask me who they were. I don't know. I just know that that's a thing. Um, but, you know, so you can go back and see that stuff. And you could probably find it in DNA, maybe, especially in the older population. Um, so that would have been cool. But it didn't say. It just kind of said, like, it stopped. That whole project stopped. And I'm like, well, that sucks, because it would have been great to have a definite answer. But... Um, based upon what they found, they found very little evidence left on Roanoke Island with that. They didn't really find anything on that Croatone or whatever that island is now called underneath them. Um, it looks like, cause they found like scattered artifacts of what would have been like English settlers on the mainland and all this, you know, I didn't get super into it. Um, but I just kind of got a little bit of an overview. So most likely that's what happened. I'm going to tell myself that's what happened because it's a nicer story than them like being murdered by Spanish and or otherwise. Um, but yeah, he never saw his family again, which mm-hmm. is kind of sucks. But I mean, I don't know. The An island on the edge of America in the Atlantic Ocean sounds like a scary place to be to me. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think. I, yeah, I think it's all frightening. <laughs> well, I've, I, I'm... The Atlantic Ocean is a very mighty force to me. It's cold mm-hmm. and it's deep and there's a lot of yeah. questionable things at the bottom sure. of it. Yeah, so. no, you're right. It's No, exactly. It's like a new world in the, you know, to you at least. And um, yeah, yeah, that would be a nightmare. No, this is actually a, um, it's a really neat story. And it's one that there are historians and just even history buffs and people who like mysteries and hypothesize over it yeah Yeah. conspiracy theories and all those sort of things that like to just kind of like dig into those little little mysteries and there are some actually some really good um like books but also i've I've heard podcasts on it as well too like Mm. um podcast i listened to astonishing legends that does a did a really good series on this as well too and they they do like really deep dives on stuff i was gonna say they probably really wiped the floor with that one i couldn't i mean i looked I could not find much. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, unless you're going to, like, really commit to um, trying – almost as if you were yourself were trying to solve it, there's not that much information because it is, it is such a mystery. No one yeah. knows exactly what happened. And I had not heard of it yeah. until I, like, came across – because I was looking more for, like, a mystery one because I thought that would be a little more fun for us. Um, open-ended. I hate open-ended. Like, when people do, like – I love true crime, so I love, obviously, listening to lots of true crime podcasts. Who doesn't? 
Um, maybe not late at night in the dark when I'm home alone because I've really realized that that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Every time that you hear scary. it, like, don't do that. What was that? <laughs> oh God, yeah. I've done and it. I've heard and some like, bad mm-hmm. ones. Like when I was like at the house, like painting alone, I was like, I'm terrified right now. <laughs> As I like nudge the hammer closer to me, like. <laughs> Well, especially because we were new to the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, I was like, this is extremely... I think I... What was the guy who, like, broke into their houses and, like, left uh, Golden State? Yeah. Yeah. That was the one that was on at night when I'm in the house alone. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go put on... The good thing is he's been captured, so fuck that guy. I know. I know. Well, that was... The particular one was with the uh, uh, interview with the detective who was on his case. Oh. Paul Holtz? Yes. (laughs) He's so sexy. He is. Why, why are people like – he actually has a podcast as well too. I know. Yeah. I've heard it. But mm-hmm. it was just – it was really – it was so cool to me to hear that perspective because mm-hmm. I never get to hear that. It's really yeah. – I love hearing people – obviously, I love stories. I love history stories. I love those stories. It's something that I really like. Honestly, in my free time, if it's not a podcast, it's an audio book. Yeah. So I love stories. And wow. Yeah. But it was one of those – like it was fascinating – I think because of his notoriety and, like, how he was not caught. His unfortunate and disgusting genius. But, like, as one of those things, I was like, wow. Yeah. It it was terrifying and uh, probably why most people listen to it intriguing Yeah. at the same time. Um, but, yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm going to never listen to this stuff late at night again. I'm going to put on a story about dragons and... <laughs> feel better about life yeah things that aren't yeah but um yeah mysteries Mm -hmm. i i like mysteries but i also at the same time hate open-ended mysteries because i'm like well what happened yeah so people like an ending in any story people who doesn't people like to know they like to have things wrapped up and have a little bow put on it to know okay there we go that story is done. closure is something human beings like yes yeah it's it's not nice when we hear something like oh wait what happened what do you mean Uh what do you what do you mean you don't know and i think that's also what pulls us into a lot of stories as well too as much as we don't as much as we may as human beings hate not knowing it's sometimes the not knowing that also really reels us in and makes us kind of spiral i think that's what gets a lot of people um true crime in in general i mean that's i think that's a really good example you know a lot of like the armchair detectives and and people Mm -hmm. who are um who are fans of of that i, sh- I, sh- I don't mean to say fans like oh yeah we love when people are hurt and murdered but i mean no, people no. that like that kind the of mystery. detective work can be like oh, yeah. let's solve this let's let's get justice and um in fact actually speaking of the golden state killer there's a book called i'll be gone in the dark written by the late michelle mcnamara and finished by billy jensen who is actually yes, on that exactly podcast with yeah. paul holes mm-hmm. and michelle mcnamara mcnamara is um She's actually, she was married to, um, you know, Patton Oswalt, the comedian and actor? Yes. Yes. I was going to say, you'll definitely know if you hear him or see him. No, I know exactly who he is. Um, Yeah, that was his wife. That was his wife? Uh Uh-huh. And she was, um, I think it was called True Crime Diary was the name of her blog. And she was a true crime writer for years. Didn't she try and solve cold cases? Um, maybe no? okay. I don't remember. Um, I just think that's so cool when people do that. I'm like, wow, that but takes so much. But this was like her case. The Golden State Killer. I, she would yeah. like, I did all day, that. all night. She was, and she put together this book. It, the book was very good. I remember reading it when I was on a trip um, when it first came out. Didn't it scare you? It yeah. Well, I mean, it. Oh. it I think Anytime it would scare anybody because him, you're just it like freaked me out. Yeah, it, the story is just 
horrifying. People should feel safe in their homes. And he was there suddenly in their homes in the middle of the night. Didn't matter if there were, you know, it's not like he attacked people who were alone necessarily. Mm-mm. He would, you know, like, no. so it, uh, it really plays on like a lot of people's fears. Deepest, darkest fears. Yeah. yeah because there is no safety. Right. And uh, I remember reading the book and I think she, um, and then I, it was in, oh gosh, it was, yeah, I think pretty sure it was within the year that he was caught. And I remember just being like, thank God. <laughs> I just yeah. remember just reading that story. And then when that hit the news, I was like, yes, I know that case. Fuck that guy. I hope he gets everything that's coming to him. Is he still alive? He's still technically alive. Although I think during his trial, he was trying to look, I mean, he's, he's, he's older anyway. I know he's, he's older. But I think... Very similar to like Harvey Weinstein, where they're trying I'm to so like pathetic. Yeah, they try yeah. and really play up their age or some mm-hmm. sort of you Use know health issue or yeah. And I'm like, and they'll like take a walker or wheelchair into the courtroom just to. Oh, I'm just a poor old man. Feel bad for me? I'm like, Keep no, you didn't feel bad for any other other people <laughs> that you preyed on. Mm-mm, I have no no pity for you. Laurel and I are so vicious. We're like, yeah, I have no no pity for you. You get the justice you deserve. But yeah, no, Rowan, the Roanoke story is um, is very interesting. In fact, it's funny because I actually have a list of... Are you able to plug that podcast series so people, if they want to know more, that they can... Which one? I'm sorry. Whatever. You said they did a series on it where they delved deep into it. Do you know what that's called? So if they want to hear more, Yeah, yeah. I'll put a out. link to the, the um, Astonishing Legends um, episodes because I think they did... It's either awesome. one or two parts. But yeah, that's... I mean, honestly, that's for somebody who wants a deep dive i'm actually now that you've said that i'm gonna check it out because yeah i was intrigued scott and forest the less really i found the more i was like why is this not talked about more mm-hmm. like it was never mentioned in school no it comes up a lot on like different um well like different like mystery podcasts or yeah. or um news well, news or like journalist sources where they like to talk about those sort of things or, like mm-hmm. radio shows understandable mystery history <gasps> i went there I like what you're doing with your hand. Thank you. I don't know what this is. If this is an anglerfish. Yeah, it's an anglerfish. Or Maybe it's that's your Loch Ness. A spicing. Oh, you're spicing. You sprinkle some mystery history in there. <laughs> that's kind of what it looks like. So, but regardless, sorry, in excitement, angler spicing fish. Um, yeah, like that stuff, totally unexplained places. And like when you go, just example, Bermuda Triangle. Right. Why does all that crazy stuff happen there? Ooh. All right, we're gonna keep getting on a tangent, so we need to. Yeah, let's cut cut it out then. Because um, now I'm ultra excited about history, <laughs> so let's do it. That's good. This is what we're here for. We're here to just sit and and relax and relax with our friends and our chat about circle. all of our different uh, different things. It's like, hey, there's this thing that I learned. We're not pretending to be any sort of scholars on it. We just no. like to sit and hang out and chat about these things. So we're glad you're here with us to do it. So, thank you for that, Katie. The Lost Colony of Roanoke. Thank you for your captivation. <laughs> it was. I was into it. I love that story. I think it's really interesting. I like I like all these things, you know. Do you like mystery history? I do like mystery history. <laughs> I like that. Please get me a shirt that says mystery history on it. Okay. Unless there's some other podcast out there called Mystery History. Oh, and then yeah, they're that like, would really uh, monkey <laughs> should probably look it. that up first. Otherwise, we might have an issue. But, um... If you're mystery history, we're super sorry about that. Well, I we mean, have if no you idea. are, I apologize for thinking <laughs> of this later. But your name's really cool. 
<laughs> and if there <laughs> is, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so with that, Katie, let's hightail it on out of here. Have a great week, folks. We love you. Stay safe out there. Get money. Get high. Give love. You can fly. Okay, perfect. Well, let's fly on out of here then. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing on whatever platform you get your pods. It really does help us so much and also helps others find us and join our weekly history party. As for the socials, you can find us on Instagram at Hightailing History and on Facebook at Hightailing Through History or with the username at Hightailing History. You can contact us at HightailingHistoryPod at gmail.com. And now for the moment I'm cringing about. This is what happens when you get stoned and try to write the closer of your show and have nothing cool to end it with. All right, you ready? Until next week, get money, get high, give love, and always try. Have a great week, folks. <laughs>